The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Third Men Podcast, the Jack White Third Man Records History Program, and I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And live from my basement, I'm yeah. your other co-host, James Kaminsky. James looks like he is plotting jihad tonight, <laughs> and it doesn't look comfortable down there, I must say. Never before has one of our co-hosts uh, been able to say they've been in something resembling a spider hole, but uh, yeah. here yeah, I am. dank down there. And what better place to podcast i was gonna say broadcast and i was like we're not broadcasting anything but we're we're no but we're not we're not putting anything on a pod either so i mean what is this really we're broadcasting how it's like a phone cast (laughs) yeah yeah sure um it's like a phone cast paul said describing a podcast to an elderly person (laughs) (laughs) Um, we are back with part two of our album analysis and review episode of the latest Jack White solo effort, Entering Heaven Alive. And it was uh, part one that we kicked off season seven here, James. And between us two, our families, our jobs, Mm -hmm. our various responsibilities. Oh, yes. We finally found some time to record this one. And I hope to record more in season seven. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, you know what? That first episode was a real hoot. Uh-huh. And we have exited heaven alive and we are re-entering heaven uh, for a second time, which, yeah. which now sounds a little more like a euphemism than I had anticipated. But 
Mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, I'm really excited to go over the track by track this week. Did we start any of the track by track? It's been a minute. We did. We got all the way up to Love is Selfish. So we covered. All right, so I'm really excited to get back <laughs> oh, into the track by track alive. But before we get to the track by track, James, uh huh, there is something that we could do, or okay. some some digging around we could do. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> do you want to do some dicking around with me before we jump into this track by track? <laughs> Paul, never, never before. Have I felt that the odds are more Robert stacked in your favor? All right, this is Rough Detectives. Each one is searching for that vital clue to end a story that so far has no ending. Also, two other intriguing mysteries needing but one final clue to solve them. Someone watching tonight may know the truth. Indubitably, my good woman. really rough this week okay so <clears throat> rough detectives well why don't you tell them james well rough detectives is when we or you do some private dicking and <laughs> figure <laughs> something out on our behalf that's it like we had a question and we learned something about it this rough detectives is one where we're gonna put out we need your help Okay, we don't normally do it this way. Normally, this is something we've figured out or something, but we're putting out the call to our listeners. So, in the album promotion cycle for Entering Heaven Alive, Jack was asked by an interviewer about one of his songs sounding vaguely bossa nova style. And then Jack put out the call to no one in particular to ask if anyone can find a song that he wrote in bossa nova style now if you're wondering what bossa nova style is mm-hmm. like James which i am is bossa nova is a style of samba developed in the late 1950s and early 1960s in rio de janeiro it is mainly characterized by a different beat that altered the harmonies with the introduction of unconventional chords and an innovative syncopation of traditional samba. Uh, there is also derivatives, samba, jazz, etc. So I'm going to drop a little bossa nova in here. Love when it comes without a warning. Oh, 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 
easy, baby, I worked all day and my feet feel just like lead. You got my shirt tails flying all over the place and the sweat popping out of my head. She said, hey, boss, I'm over, baby, keep on working for the same no time to quit. And before you ask James, Chevy Nova is what we were searching for a way to squeeze in here somehow. And I just beat us to the punch and just said, you know what, forget it. Thanks. Uh, Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello. Righteous! Bossa Nova! Bossa Nova? Chevy Nova? If I recall, the only real Bossa Nova information that I have, and I'm I'm struggling to find any direct sources of this, but if I recall from the commentary of The Simpsons, the early idea Matt Groening had was that this Homer would listen to like nothing but Bossa Nova, like he was super into it. Wow. But I think I'm just mostly thinking like the the girl from Ipanema? Is that Bossa Nova? Tall and tan and young and lovely The girl from Ipanema goes walking and and there's a lot of early examples of this, and it goes up until like season three when they just completely abandoned the idea because no one understood it. But again, I listened to a lot of Simpsons commentary, and we're really diving into a thing that has nothing to do with Jack White at this point. So I, I don't know. And I, I must confess, I didn't really look. <laughs> <laughs> but if anyone out there, I thought that was an interesting ask. Has he ever done anything bossa nova? I feel like... Eleanor Blake probably has, but yeah. I don't think, I, I mean, unless I'm forgetting something. All I'm thinking of is the girl from Ipanema now. You know what? The nurse is a little bossa nova-ish. It's not quite, though. Somebody write us in and tell us if he's ever done a bossa nova trick because I'm really struggling here. I I mean honestly, the nurse is like a little, a little bit. We're hoping that one of you out there will become a rough detective and tell us if Jack White or any Jack White related acts, bands he's been in and stuff, have ever done a bossa nova song. We just about came up empty, and that's just the kind of half-assed. <laughs> reporting you get here on the third man podcast on this podcast this has been rough detectives it's elementary what ties these events together is a global conspiracy that began at the start of world war ii it may still be going on today all right james let's talk about track number four here on entering heaven alive love is selfish mm. 
I'm on a train, but I cannot rest upon it. I'm on a train, but it won't stay on the rails. And I got a sailboat with her name painted on it. But I don't know how to sail. This features uh, Jack White on vocals, acoustic guitar, and bass guitar. And that's it. Just Jack on this one. Engineered and mixed by Bill Skibby with Jack White. And our first true taste of the album, released in January of 2022. Although I suppose you could uh, argue that our first true taste was hearing... um, taking me back gently but this is like the first new song that wasn't something that had a harder rock component of it that we heard from the album and i must say i really like love is selfish it took me a minute to warm to it really? uh yeah because it's a softer track and the i was so i do like a harder edge stuff i mean i'm a dead weather guy so the the softer stuff tends to take a little bit to to warm up to me but what once i kind of had a minute with it i really did quite enjoy it and i remember playing it to ariel and she didn't like it at first either because she wasn't too thrilled with the messaging because she was trying to say that you know she didn't believe love is is selfish she thinks love is selfless and i was trying to explain that well it's more of the metaphorical meaning of love itself wanting to take control of jack and he he kind of feels like this is uh this is suddenly taking control of him as opposed to him expressing love to somebody else this is a song about him falling in love uh, Uh, along those lines love as an idea is a character in the song yes and you know personified right and it is the thing that he's annoyed that makes himself less because it means he has to interrupt his plans I mean, I say he, it's the character, whoever. But, yeah, that's the, sort of the point. It's, it's his lament that there's this consuming emotional state that can control your actions and make you do things that you wouldn't maybe normally do or something, which you might look at and go, well, that's a good thing. Or you might look at and go, well, that's quite annoying. And I think in Jack's case, it's probably a little bit of both. This is via Rolling Stone. Love is Selfish is a poignant and sparse acoustic ballad with white crooning over steady finger-picking and a soft drum shuffle. Love is such a selfish thing, always crying, me, me, me. And it's always trying to mess up all my plans. And I work real hard to make you understand. And I try my best to help you understand. White also directed the music video for the song, which finds him in an empty American Legion outpost in East Nashville, performing the song on stage and wandering around the venue looking for a way out but never finding one. The clip ends with what appears to be the hand of a second person dropping a dollar in White's tip jar. After that, the singer walks to the door that suddenly opened and stares at the blinding white light emanating from outside. Now, I hadn't quite analyzed the video to the extent that this writer from Rolling Stone has, but that's kind of an interesting point. You know, he's rattling around. I think the American Legion Hall in the video is symbolic of the singer's head. 
sort of rattling around in there and unable to kind of get out and there's a stage where he can perform but it's for no one you know it's just it's just for himself you know mm-hmm. and and there's a bar where he can sit there and be contemplative and stuff but yeah it isn't until someone comes along and validates the experience that allows him to leave the confines that he finds himself in so it's actually I don't know if that was the intention. I would assume it is. Or at the very least validates his parking so he can leave. Whoa, James. Hey, (laughs) this is the kind of hard-hitting analysis that you get from us. (laughs) But yeah, I I really like it. You know why? Because it sounds like something from Get Behind Me Satan. It sounds like, you know, any number of those kinds of ballads from those kinds of White Stripes albums that I enjoy. And that's just another side of his songwriting whether it's sugar never tasted so good earlier on or love interruption from the solo era see i got blunderbuss from this mm-hmm. yeah yeah and sure. blunderbuss was an album that i did take a while to warm up to so it, it kind of tracks in that regard but yeah it's softer but it's got uh you know folksy twang to it and i i really um i dig it i know we talked a good amount about this in a previous episode but i thoroughly enjoy this and i do find that when grouped on the album i think me and you have both realized this it sounds as if it's from a different recording which is weird because we've we've gone over the fact that there is one song that was recorded in um where was it tuscaloosa or <laughs> where was the <laughs> kalamazoo kalamazoo there we go <laughs> james goes caca pee pee poo poo um but it wasn't this one but which is strange because this one sounds so different. I don't know if it's different recording equipment he used in the studio or what, but uh, there is something different about it. Uh, it might just be the fact that it's just him and a lot of the other songs that have double-tracked with, with other folks. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah, there's definitely that DIY feel to it. I don't know why it sounds the way it does, actually. That's a good, really good question. I mean, maybe it's simply a intentional like way to emphasize the meaning of the song or something to create that kind of hollow feeling. I mean, it's one of the few tracks where it's just him. So it could simply be a layering thing or maybe they were okay with that kind of a softer mic sound. I don't know how they mic'd him in the uh, studio there, but clearly there's something different because it has a soft kind of sound to the vocal, almost uh, fuzz on it, like a very light fuzz or something. But yeah, it's uh, it's one that not just I connected to White Stripes stuff. You know, this one did wind up drawing a lot of praise and comparisons to White Stripes from across the people who reviewed the album favorably. Like words like soothing um, from NME or mellow from Spin or gentle um, from WERS 88.9 FM. And the video was called Purgatorial by Rolling Stone. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, but uh, but this is via Variety. It's crazy to be 21 and have your own business. Jack now sees, looking back on the upholstery business he ran in Detroit, it was a job to most people, but to me, it was trying to figure out how to make it artistically creative. And I took it to a spot where it was wildly artistic and maybe even unappealingly so to the customers, he admits. Eventually, the White Stripes took off way more than the button tufting was ever going to, but you could hear his enduring love for these things in a couple of telling lines in one of the new Entering Heaven Alive songs, Love is Selfish. 
in which he equates physical work with romance itself. Someone smarter than me and you might end up solving a clue or two, but could they make it happen with their hands? Could they build it up from nothing with their hands? It's the most Jack-sounding lyric in the whole thing. <laughs> uh, when I heard that one, I was like, oh, there he is. That's it, yeah. And it's sort of comforting to know that despite all of this acquiescence on the part of him using Pro Tools and things like that, that he does still have that about him. He's, he's, he's admitted that he can use these easy things, but should he is something he still wrestles with. And it, it, at the very least, he admires the fact that you know, others might not, or he might not. Or something. I mean, if look, if McCartney's doing it, Jack might as well be doing it too. What using Pro Tools? You know, he he tried to use the tools of the day. You know, press to play, all that stuff. You know, he evolved with it. And if McCartney can put out McCartney three and utilize the tools that he's using for that, Jack can also you know grow. I don't know. I yeah, no, I know. Uh, well, this isn't. I wasn't trying to make this about pro tools and stuff i was just saying it's comforting for me to hear him still say stuff like he used to <laughs> because it, there was a point where it just stopped and he just went okay i'm done with that side of me now um so it's just it was interesting to hear that uh line in this song the finger picking on this track reminds me a lot of some different songs that he's done over the course of his career in the white stripes especially I think the finger picking is very, very similar to You've Got Her in Your Pocket. I'm going to play these two back to back a little bit here. it's not quite the same song but it's very reminiscent of that uh, you know and there's a few others where he uses that picking style on it's very quintessentially jack very mm-hmm. very much something we've heard from his bag of tricks in the past but it's nice to hear it again you know it's not a criticism that he's he's used this before i, I just happen to like it yeah the last thing i was going to say about this one is um I really like the I, I got a train bit where there's like a gong or yes. something. Like, and then um, there's this breathy kind of brushes on the drums texture or something. Well, I don't think there is actually drums on it because it doesn't say there is, but it sounds like there's drum, um, brushes on there. 
And um, this was a grower for me, too. I find it gets stuck in my head. In fact, a lot of the melodies do on this record, but this one gets stuck in my head a lot. Mm -hmm. Also, one of the first, uh, actually, probably the first track from this album to uh, be played live was uh, was this one. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, he played this often, and he played it for me and Ariel at uh, Washington, D.C., so before the album came out. There we go. So we can move on from there to the next track here. I've got you surrounded, parentheses, with my love. like it belongs on the other album uh mm-hmm. and i was curious if that was the case because it's got kind of a harder edge you know it's it's one of the only songs that has electric guitar up front and center it's got that typical jack white kind of piercing electric vibe to it but it's also super jazzy and um kind of funky it's it's kind of fun fun is a great word to describe it so i feel like this song is totally out of place on this record um it's the only song for me that really feels like it actively doesn't belong on here like you're saying could have gone on the other one i don't know if should have is where i would go with it but this one in shedding my velvet or something are like really spiritually akin to me and just in tone and i gotta say this was one of those that felt a little spinal tappy to me um i've got you surrounded with my love yeah don't you know it girl Eh, eh, yeah, okay. You know, I, I mean, I like I like it for what it is, that fun you're talking about, because the instrumentation on it is so awesome, and I could listen to, to him jam all day with this band. So this band playing on this track is Dominic Davis on bass, Daru on drums, Quincy on piano, Jack on vocals, electric guitar, drum machine, percussion. So it's basically the touring band is mm-hmm. is playing this song. And it does have that kind of power to it. And I love just hearing them jam and stuff and trip off and, you know, squawk and, you know, riff and all that stuff. It's kind of fun. But as the, as like a, a meaty kind of something, uh, like the rest of this album to me has a lot of emotional, you know, heart and these beautiful lyrics and there's a lot to say and things like this one. It's just sort of an outlier, not necessarily, you know, in like a skip, kind of sense like i wouldn't skip this track but i don't know it just seems completely out of place on this record to me well yeah because the other songs are songs and this one is a jam yeah and i and i don't mind this one i don't mind yeah this is like if this was a b-side it would make sense to me i agree with you to a point i do like the song and i do i have found that i enjoy it as a bridge to the rest of the music it's a uh, kind of an a-side b-side bridge to me i mean I, I realize it's not exactly there but i do uh find myself bopping along to it more than i thought i would originally now tam listener to our show tam davis a third person in spirit every week forgive me if i'm 
paraphrasing incorrectly, he played this at a show that she was at, and I think in Baltimore, and some of the people didn't quite understand that it was not just a riff going from song to song. And Tam was just like eating that up. The fact that she knew this was I've Got You Surrounded and some people just thought this was a jam going from song to song. And I think that says a lot about this song is that it's kind of too loose (laughs) on an album that's really tight overall. Yeah. And again, a lot of this sounds like complaints. It really isn't. I don't have a skip on here. I mean, if I die tomorrow, depending on my mood, I, I, I actually can't listen to. But that's not for lack of it being good or bad it's just because it's so fucking sad (laughs) but we'll get to that one later but if anybody was to complain about something being too loose it wouldn't be us because would listen to the intro of this podcast and you will have understood that you know what this one belongs on is freaking boarding house reach (laughs) this is what maybe in my mind's eye what boarding house reach could maybe should have been which is maybe like more like this which is like people playing instruments together. This is Respect Commander Part 2. It's got a corporation vibes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. And I like corporation. Yeah. So Jack told the BBC, I found an old tape loop drum machine called a Chamberlain. And it had some jazzy sambas and rumbas and different beats that someone had recorded to the tape loops. So we're playing off of that. And Daru's playing drums along with this recorded tape loop of drums from the 60s or whatever. And it's amazing because it took us all in this new direction, a whole different path. So that's why this is what it is, is just they're playing uh, tape loops and jamming along to it and making a song around it or making a jam around it. All right. Sure. A consequence of sound said of this one, I've got you surrounded with my love is a place where White demonstrates how thoroughly he's absorbed Prince's quirky funk and yeah i i don't know if this was on lazaretto instead of would you fight for my love i think it would improve that record for me personally by leaps and bounds in fact a lot of this album evokes lazaretto to me and just in general but there's a funky bit where the drum machine fades back and there's this little guitar that comes in this sort of 70s wah-wah pedal sounding thing it's during that part where he's like you've got love all around all around you that thing that's really tight. I like that part a lot. Yes. That's like the piano descent into the middle eight. It sounds so unlike Jack, actually, that you need those little stereotypical Jack flourishes to remind you that it's a Jack tune. There's a a yelp and a targeted non-fuzz solo thing, you know, kind of bouncing around. But this, this does sound different for him, and probably by virtue of it largely being the product of a drum machine based jam. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about, like, the falling down. Yeah. Boom, boom. Yeah. Another track where the piano is kind of the star. I mean, Quincy is just on fire on this whole record. Yeah. You know, whenever he plays, he's just really bringing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's all I've got on this one. Um, shall we move on to Queen of the Bees, James? <laughs> it's the song we're all buzzing about. Hey, he got there. Hey, he got there. I got there. He got there. <laughs> Thank you. 
When I'm left all alone, I feel homely. When you leave me at home and the witchcraft that you're putting on me is a patch on a rat that is far out to sea. Pass me the bread. So it says Jack on vocals, Mellotron percussion, and Hammond synthesizer. And it has Dan Mancini on guitar. Don't know who that is. Patrick Keeler, of all people, on drums, and Dominic Davis on electric upright bass. And this is another one written during that five-day fasting experiment in Kalamazoo and an advance single available as early as March of 2022. Now, I remember loving this when it came out more than the A-side, certainly, which I think was Heidi Ho. Heidi Ho. I played this on heavy rotation, like, and I still do. It's one of my favorites on the whole record. I just really love this one. Dan Mancini appears to be Jack's guitar tech. Oh, interesting. On tour, like his roadie? Along with guitar tech Dan Mancini and drum tech Trey Borges. Yeah, apparently on the Tours Help Us Stranger tour, he was the um, guitar tech. I saw another one of his guitar techs. There was a, a video posted to Jack's Instagram of Jack on drums and one of the guitar techs jamming with him, which was mm-hmm. great. Daru was filming it. I don't know if it was on Daru's Instagram or what, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's cool, though. He's also the assistant engineer on Fear of the Dawn was Dan Mancini. Oh, I see. I gotcha. He did the photography for an album by The Joy Formidable. I'm not familiar with them, but he was a member of the group Energy, and he released a blues album in 2004 called These Blues Don't Belong to Me. Yeah. So that's Dan Mancini. Jack uh, commented to the BBC this and I've got you surrounded really flow together and I agree I think this is pretty much one of the only places you could have put this song on the record is right after I've got you surrounded it's good sequencing Jack also told EW that quote this is a very strange song I wrote it on Mellotron that had samples of other instruments on it so I'm making chord changes I would have never chosen on the guitar. It took me to a whole different spot writing that song. I was challenging myself to sort of see what I could get away with. If you went back when I was 25 and said, would you write lyrics about buttering toast? I would say never. I would never do that. (laughs) However, (laughs) and this is now me editorializing, some of my favorite lines, like the domesticity that this song celebrates is so beautiful to me. I just like the idea of this character. Let's for the sake of what Jack would say about this, this character is coming home to this person he really likes, or this, this guy's home and the the character, you know, his, his significant other is coming back. He says, you know, I'll butter your toast while you take off your shoes and he's going to make them tea and coffee and stuff. And it's not about the tea or coffee being, particularly good it's it's about the gesture you know and i think we remarked on this one when we were doing the album cycle origins that it is probably not a coincidence that this is queen of the bees and olivia jean oft sports a beehive hairdo and he is the fly on the wall and she is the queen of the bees yeah as soon as i saw the title queen of the bees i was like i think beehive i'm like Mm -hmm. i'm thinking beehive Okay. All right. He's in love. Man's in love. This and Help Me Along are tied for my favorite tracks on the record. Oh. 
Yeah, nice. really. Yeah, uh, Help Me Along is one of my favorites too. I think that and Mad Men from Manhattan has worked its way from my least favorite to my <laughs> most favorite. Um, another song where we get a reference to coffee, obviously top of mind for a fasting Jack White. I love the, um, I want them to see, I want them to see, oh Lord, let them see. Again, I think likely a, a, an, a, uh, an allusion to his relationship with Olivia. This man loves coffee more than any other recording artist I've ever heard before. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, it's mentioned he a lot mentions on this it. Record. Yeah. He mentions it a lot in general, just making models of people I used to know out of coffee and cotton. Uh, yeah. One more cup of coffee. Uh, it's, it's, that's I, that's all I got off the top of my head. I just there's a lot of coffee references. Man's <laughs> man's on beans. The man's on beans. He's going to that spite store. Um, love the Mellotron solo and my favorite line in the whole thing I think is I love you like my mother loves me. That's really sweet. That's a sweet that little very, sentiment there. That is very. It's a, adorable. I don't have much else to say about this one other than I really like. I mentioned last time that I played this one and helped me along for Susanna, and she didn't like either because she felt that they were um, too happy for him. She felt like they were like suspiciously happy. Um, this one she, does border she, on ch- <laughs> cheesy. Like, it's... Yeah! It's a- almost there. The buzzing in the background, who's credited with that? Is that Jack doing that? Is there, Who's doing the humming? The bzz, 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 bzz. Could be the Mellotron. Could be something that was on the synthesizer. Could be. Uh, but I've grown to love it. I really have. I do like this song quite a bit. Um, this one is never corny for me. I don't find this one corny in the least bit. I just find it happy. It just makes me happy to listen to it. I do, but but like it's lovably corny. Like it's like it's cute. It's a cute song, and he's not one to write cute songs. But he does though all the time. I know. We're gonna be it, friends. It's <laughs> one of his signature tunes. But it's got some of those strange Jack White metaphors, so you like you know it's him. Like the ant hugs a tree and a sloth hugs a tree. It's like or ant climbs a tree, even a sloth hugs a tree. You know, it's it's clever. Which reminds you like, yeah, like I, I like this. I like this. Even the lyrics anyway. I don't love go into lyrics that I do love so quick and seamlessly that I think I just love them anyway. Like the coffee is warm, but it's not too good, which I didn't Love like. That I know you like that one. I didn't like that one. But the coffee is warm, but it's not too good. Or maybe it's misunderstood like me. And then, it get, like, really, I don't know. There's a beautiful flow to this, an unusual flow to this compared to some of his other Because, like, you've had, you've had warm coffee from a diner that's just burnt and bad. But it's warm. And, like, you'll take that comfort. Yeah, in the morning. Like, if, if if I'm having subpar coffee in, in the evening or at, like, a lunch or something, I just won't drink it at that point. But, but like, when you're craving coffee and it's like, yeah. this is this is a, a shelter in a storm, I am getting this drink that I am craving at the moment. And I don't care if it tastes bad. It's giving me what I need at the moment. It's warm. It tastes bad, but it's warm. <laughs> hot drink is sometimes what you need, Paul. Love a hot drink. Warm beverage. That brings us to the next track here, Tree on Fire from Within. Now, James, I know Mm. I said I had two other favorite songs on this album, but this actually might be my favorite song. (laughs) I really love this one.
think I dislike a single track on this album. Yeah. But this is a skipper for me. Whoa! Because it's slow. Whoa, I would never. And, and I listen to this a lot when I'm driving, and I like a faster-paced song. You treat this song like a lady. This... <laughs> I, I'm shocked and intrigued to hear you say that i eat this one up this is i oh my god this is like one of it's a three-way tie for my favorite song on the album Um, it's good i don't get me wrong i man i feel like i'm hating on this album no i'm I'm, I'm not i'm happy actually to hear some difference here there's some catholic references because it's moses and mary Mm -hmm. this is one of the few tracks on the album that are all jack he plays um, piano, bass, drums, percussion, and he sings. And it has some of the most beautiful bass on the record, and it's him. You know, just when I think the bass couldn't get cooler, we get that little guttural low line during the Holy Moses stanza. Just the bass alone makes this track unskippable for me. I, I, I'm not trying to... I'm actually I'm delighted we have some differences here, but this is... I, I can't get enough of how much I love this song. It's another example of a power ballad that doesn't read as corny to me. It's got tooth in the lyrics, and it's got a pretty melody, and I, you just get carried into the damn sky by that bass playing. And I love the metaphor, or the imagery, rather, that he gets here, a tree on fire from within. I mean, that's a really beautiful and strange like who thinks of that who's thinking about a tree that's on fire inside so weird but it guarantee you he saw a story on like national geographic or something because like that happens where trees get struck by lightning and it's um, so cool (laughs) and and are on fire but like on the inside uh and the outside is not and so it's like it's very strange you could see like these smoldering trees that have uh, an inside that's that's on fire please stop what you're doing and look at this the director of a golf course near austin captured these photos of a fire burning inside of a tree the tree was struck by lightning yesterday now the photos look fake check out the videos ronna wilson also took of the tree look at that you can see flames near the bottom and red hot smoldering bark toward the top and tonight there are still flames visible at the bottom of the tree Looks like you were at a barbecue. Uh, those holes higher up the trunk were reduced to white ash. That is insane. I've never seen anything like that no. before. And burning for so long, too. Wow. Strange. Good wood there. It's beautiful. It's the perfect <laughs> chiminea, right? Right. Chiminea. <laughs> Hollow tree. Okay. Looks like the tree was still alive, or at yeah. least the leaves were still it's green. Like something from a movie. <laughs> I don't think it's going to make it. The lyrics on here that make reference to that. I want to read some of these. There's a story... I would like to tell, but I don't know where to begin. It's pretty on the surface, but it doesn't have an end, like a tree on fire from within. So it doesn't have an end because the, the tree is it, it's circular, right? I called up Mary to see how she's been. She says she's never really had a friend. Sure, there's many folks around me, but nobody truly found me, like a tree on fire from within. So she's burning with all this humanity, 
but and there's people around that can see her but not recognizing her for what she is or not seeing that fire within and and there's a, the frustration um and sadness that goes along with that it's just really pretty holy moses can ring a bell doesn't matter if it's gold or tin the news inside it means so much even if it turns to dust like a tree on fire from within i don't really know what that's about that's like a religious thing i don't know um but my favorite one of the bunch and violet roses give such a scent and it doesn't matter how long it's been even a dead rose is a good rose you only have to see one to know like a tree on fire from within just beautiful i don't know i i if i i feel like we're doing one of those uh, fight for my love segments here i just i can't say enough nice things about a tree on fire from within lightning does cause this phenomenon to happen rarely uh and it happened in 2019 and in 2020 so it's possible one of those news articles found its way onto jack's black gadget and he uh thought of the song <laughs> it's it's wild though if, if you've never seen it, it it is really crazy looking uh because like usually the trees kind of like split open and you can kind of see the fire inside of it yeah anyway it's good it's a good song I don't get me wrong. It's good. It's fine. I like it. <laughs> I, you know what I like the most about it, though, is the reminiscence of Carolina drama and that he's in the beginning where he's like, I got a story that I want to tell. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, yes, tell, tell me a story. Yeah. <laughs> Spin me a yarn. It's got um, that typical kind of Jack melody, too. It just changes in ways that keep me interested. He does that. That like when he's, I don't know. It feels like sometimes he's playing the piano with one finger or something. So he's like going down the scale or whatever. But I don't know for some reason the fact that it goes and it goes down and then it goes. There's like something really poppy about it, and you're like, it almost has like this whole album to me. Almost sounds like. Oh, Impossible Winter? Impossible Winter. Like, this has a impossible... The whole album, to me, is kind of Impossible Wintery, where there's, like, a popness to it, but not in a hokey way. You know what I love, though, is the bass on it? Yes. Like, yes, the musicality of it really does hit. I find myself craving some of the Jack Solo work that we get from a Lazaretto ballad on this. So, like, if, if it led to a bridge that was a little more <laughs> riff-rocky. But he's doing that just in the bass. He is. And, he, it, again, the musicality of it is, is, is beautiful. And I agree with you that the, the notes he's taking are turns that we wouldn't expect. And I, that keeps me engaged and keeps me interested for the most part. And that's, that's true, actually, on most of the album, is that he's taking turns that we're not expecting. Yeah. And he's keeping you guessing as to where the song's going to go because it's not, A, it's it's not what he's usually doing, and B, it's not avant-garde. So, like, it's still stuff you can kind of predict to a point. It's like, well, yeah, I could see the song's going to go, and then he takes a left turn, but it makes sense. Right. I don't know. 
yes, I feel that way about it. I feel the same way about this one as I do about all along the way. I think they're both similar spiritually uh, akin in that way, in that what you're talking about, those left turns kind of thing. Yes, and I find all along the way a lot more listenable. Oof. Oof. All right, so let's move (laughs) on to the next track, which is the only one on this whole album that comes close to a skip for me, and it's not because it's bad, it's just because it's so fucking sad. If I Die Tomorrow... Finding in your heart to sing If my mother cries in sorrow Will you help her with the many things That she needs from time to time And day to day So if I die tomorrow Will you know I love this song so much Ah. Another one that is all Jack Jack uh, does vocals, acoustic guitar, drums, bass, Mellotron, synthesizer, and electric guitar. All Jack on this one. And um, it is really, really sad. As mentioned in the last episode, this was one that Jack sort of giggles when talking about the question, what does fasting do to your songwriting? He goes, sometimes it'll make you write songs called If I Die Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so at uh, two minutes and 29 seconds, there is a bridge with the, either the Mellotron or with the synthesizer, and it every single time, I'm just like, how? where do I know this from? That one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you have any guesses as to where you think you know that from? Because I have a good guess. Morse, um, Morse Moose and the Grey Goose. Not a bad guess. <laughs> the Mega Man 6 soundtrack? <laughs> and I'm dead serious. Like It's got that that synthesized 8-bit, yeah. like the, the way too fast. And I'm like, how? where did I know that from? And it, I think it's like, tomahawk man or something like there's there's a mega man yeah. soundtrack that has that uses that exact same thing yeah i called out that solo that's my favorite part of the track that was in my notes but i also love that that part culminates in a yoga style om and then goes back in so this is via rolling stone if i die tomorrow is for the most part a solemn country ballad though in classic white fashion it's cut through with some strange and surreal guitar work if i die tomorrow will you let 
me know if I left in peace, White Sings. I begged and borrowed everybody's love and they gave for free and I wish that I could give it back to them. So if I die tomorrow, will you give them all the love they lent to me? Meanwhile, the video for If I Die Tomorrow, directed by Brantley Gutierrez, boasts a complimentary classic Western vibe, even if the visuals boast the same blue-tinted palette that's permeated everything from White's album artwork to his hair this year. In the clip, White appears to be dragging his own coffin across a vast landscape, eventually encountering a bunch of strange figures and winding up in a six-foot hole that's been waiting for him. Now, I looked up this guy Brantley Gutierrez, James, and his film credits include Paul McCartney's Who Cares music video, which, if you don't recall, is the one with the lady who's the famous... I don't remember famous lady's name, but she's famous. She was in... uh, She played... (laughs) She played Gwen Stacy in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Uh, Metrics Eclipse music video from 2010. Oddly enough, a single from the same Twilight movie soundtrack, which the Dead Weather were featured in. Hmm. And a Bianca Balti denim campaign called, of all things, Rag and Bone. So that's Brantley's film credits that I thought were kind of funny. That was close to actually Rag and Bone itself. Um, Emma something? Emma Stone. Emma Stone. That's it. Thank you. Uh, Jack performed this on Colbert on July 22nd, 2022. If I die tomorrow from his album Entering Heaven Alive, please welcome back to The Late Show. Jack White. If I die tomorrow, could you find it in your heart to see my mother cries in sorrow? Would you help her with the many things that she needs from time to time and day to day? So if I die tomorrow, would you know exactly what to say today? It's an odd choice for single to me. It's so sad. It's very sad. It's I think it's super solid though. Like I musically, lyrically, and it's something that I feel like would come out of him of like what would happen if I die tomorrow. Like I'm surprised that he didn't write a striped song about this. I'm shocked he hasn't written a solo song about this yet. This is very stripesy, this whole album. And this is very yeah. stripesy song. Yes. Yeah, Stripesy is kind of where I go with it. It's good. And the music video, if I wasn't sold on it before, the music video sold me on it further with how weird it is. Olivia Jean's in it being weird, Mm -hmm. and I love it. Yeah, It's got weird kids. I don't know who those kids are, but they're being weird and they're cool. One of them uh, commented on the YouTube video for it and went like, that's me. (laughs) And I was just like, we should get you on the show. Come on, kid. You want some peppermint? (laughs) 
Um, this and a tip from you to me sound very similar to me. Um, in fact, you could probably make a fairly seamless medley out of those two tracks. Sure. They're very, they're almost the same beat. I don't know. They're very similar. I wouldn't be surprised if these two kind of grew from the same kind of session, but I don't know. I would have thought maybe help me along would have been my choice for a single instead of this one. But I mean, it's good. Like, don't get me wrong. I like the song. It's very poignant. It's very touching. You know, the lyrics are definitely a highlight. Like you said, like a lot of lyrics on this record, there's a story element um, that has real, you know, potential personal meaning. And that line, um, ever since I was a newborn, I push aside this worry for the sake of my life, talking about thinking about death. And it's just like, holy shit, you know? Everything about this song reminded me of what I love about Jack White and his material. And I was into it the second I heard it, and I'm still, I still like it to this day. It is not the fast song I want when I'm driving a car. However, it, it's, it makes me stick around. And it's also got that, it's also got that, that solo, that brrrr, 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 brrrr. <laughs> It is a good solo, it's a good solo. Well, that brings us to the next track, James. Please, God, don't tell anyone. Please, God, don't tell anyone what I do or what I have done. When my father gets to heaven, please spare him the telling of the ways I've been sinning ever since the beginning. He won't understand, and even if he did, I'm still his son. Please, God, don't tell anyone. Please, God. Now, I know that this one based on that puss on your face is not a favorite and in fact i think i remember you saying you didn't even like this song you son of a bitch now i might be inclined to agree with it because it has like a jack like that typical jack waltz sort of thing but you know what I that's think- the only thing i love about it <laughs> it is it's 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 got the um I'm lonely, but I ain't that lonely yet vibe to it, which is like, I like that. And it's it reminds me enough of the Stripes where I'm like into it, but it's also quieter than some of the other songs. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yes. And in fact, it sounds like lonely, but I ain't that lonely yet. And the fact that it gets literally quieter. Yeah. The actual um, I, I want to, I do, it makes me wonder what he's saying don't tell anyone about i'm assuming it's that he's in love please god don't tell anyone that i'm in love (laughs) but it's about mistakes and stuff so i don't know i think it's twofold and this is me reading into it this is not something i found i think it's twofold there's one part of it is it's a character probably a 'er ne'er-do-well you know a rogue Mm -hmm. uh a uh and somebody who has made a lot of mistakes in their life and he's rattling on to his, his preacher or whatever, you know, this, I think that that's part of it. And that's what on the surface it is. But honestly, when I listen to a song like this, I may, you know, yeah, it's talking about mistakes. I feel like this is somebody really worried. They're going to get exposed for some stupid shit they did in the past. That That's the kind of stuff that would keep 
me awake at night you know especially people like taking aim at celebrities and stuff like there's a lot of dirt you can uncover on people and so i don't think that's the point of the song but that is definitely the vibe you know so what you're saying is this is jack's take on cancel culture. i think this is him up at late at night worried about being canceled please god don't tell anyone <laughs> all the idiot things that we've said um yeah i can see that i i kind of you've sold me a little bit more on the fact that it's like a a ne'er-do-well on, on his deathbed or whatever if you're giving me the story to put in my head i like that because for some reason i was like picturing a dude telling his like daughter or something like these are some of the idiot things that I've done. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's because um, the Help Me Along was stuck in my brain that that was about Scarlet. And I'm like, <laughs> he's he's asking her, not, please, just don't tell anybody. About this, this song is a real Rorschach test, which means that James is worried about his kids finding out that he's been a bastard. And I'm real worried about getting canceled myself. <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I simultaneously... <laughs> worry and anticipate with glee my kids finding my like sketchbooks and my sketch diaries and like reading that shit and going through it and being like wow that man had anxiety (laughs) yeah actually um it gave me a panic attack even looking through some of the stuff you sent me from our childhood you sent me a box last year. I still think about that. I'm haunted by that box. I still think about that box to this day. If you're not haunted by high school, Paul, what are you What are you doing? It's a very bad box. Um, this track features Jack on acoustic guitar and vocals, Quincy McCrary on piano, Dominic on bass, Ben Swank on drums, and Mark Which I love. Yeah. I love that he's on this. A couple, And look, I think he plays on Tip From You To Me, too, or maybe one of those. And also features Mark Watros on Wurlitzer. Mark Watros being the guy that we can never remember from the Raconteurs Auxiliary musical team. I, I think we covered a lot here, but I really love the line, I can't even recall all the sins I can't tell. Will a, th- <laughs> <laughs> Will a thousand good deeds be erased by just one bad one? There's a little cancel culture in there. I'm sorry. That's I, sure. No, you're you're getting me on that. Okay. I'm not saying that's what it's about. I'm saying that that is definitely a mood in there. Um, I love the production on this track. The piano and the guitar, especially, are so damn crisp to me. I really love it. And there's a honky tonk piano during that second bridge, do 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 with the um, with the synth, and it's just really beautiful. you've reminded me of why i probably am picturing like a son or a daughter that he's telling this to is because he says your mother and da 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 so like he is talking about your mother like he says the line your mother right am i wrong yeah no i think there is an element of his kids in there because he also talks about begging and stealing for his children or or like doing a bunch of nasty things for his children. Okay. Because you know? like for a second, I'm like, is this a Rorschach test? Is this just me projecting? And um, no, I don't think it probably. Yeah. Okay. 
It, no, I think it is a little also that. Well, sure. Yeah. But that's that's anything in life, James. That's fine. I was prepared not to really like this song and wound up loving it. It's not a skip for me. It's just not. I I just I really love it. I will say in the five minutes we've been talking about it or however long, you've convinced me to like it more than I have. Oh, good. Well, see, that's something. All right. Well, that brings us, James, to a track I know you enjoy. The second to last or penultimate track on the record, A Madman from Manhattan. Ooh! There's a madman from Manhattan There with a man's hat and a floor mat made of satin But this cat was not like this or that But that which was aptly named for a man Whose plan is a dime in a can downstairs for a dollar If he can win the time with Now it wasn't until last episode that you illuminated the fact that this is perhaps an allusion to not Manhattan the place, but the Manhattan Project. That hadn't occurred to me. I mean, he's got the Manhattan Project incorporated into this in the artwork, so it, it makes sense. My mind originally went when I was listening to this song, and I, I know it went into a friend of the show, Josh Aiken's mind as well, is Trump uh, was, was a oh, thing that... Yeah. that instantly came to mind because he's you know a new york a new yorker that guy would never take the subway are you kidding me <laughs> well okay wait can we talk about that line real quick catch a name train love the name of an alphabet, alphabet letter. letter it i love that that line Be- the fact that he's calling the subway a train with the name of an alphabet letter is so good i called that out it, the first thing in my notes one of my favorite jack lines oh, ever yeah oh it's so good it took me like a minute to get it too. Like I was like, "Oh, okay." So like I, anyway, I was I love that line and and but the Trump thing, you know, the the whole thing about conning other people and then conning yourself and all that stuff. I think is yeah, you know. I mean, it there's, could be there's maybe that a... section. I don't think it's entirely about him, nor do I know if it it is a hundred percent. But like that did come to my mind immediately. I was like, "Oh yeah, oh he's a bad man from Manhattan." um this one was a grower for me actually i did like it when i first heard it but i i guess i was expecting it to be more grandiose somehow and it never quite became grandiose i was expecting it to be more like thoughts and prayers on Hmm. help a stranger where it's one of those big closers that you know, before you know it, there's suddenly Lily May and Scarlet going with the fiddles and all sorts of big noise and everything. And maybe that's just me, like, expecting things from a record instead of actually enjoying them for what they are. Because I wound up enjoying this. And I wound up actually really loving this song. And this was one that Susanna really took to, actually. And I liked it even more, again, after talking in our last episode without... Like, I I didn't realize when I first heard it that it goes into esophobia halfway through. I had no idea until you pointed that out to me. And I, I know esophobia. Like, I know that album. It just never even occurred to me. I don't know. It's super subtle, though. Like, it's not something that's, unless you, like, are, have listened to it back to back or whatever, You it's hard to catch. 
once I heard that, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it, and I love this yeah. song. And uh, we've talked on the show before about concept out al- Jack never having really done a concept album or a reprise. And now, <laughs> I'm not saying he listens to our speech bubbles. I hope he doesn't. <laughs> but I do find it funny that now we do have a concept, not just album, but set of albums from him, and there's a, a reprise. <laughs> Not just a reprise on one record. There's a reprise across records. Now, that really comes back to, and I, I think that'll, I'd be interested to hear your take maybe when we get to do the overall thing. So think about your answer, James. But I do wonder if this record and Fear of the Dawn would have been better served as a double album. I know why we didn't get it as a double album. It was like a production thing. But that is something I think about sometimes. Would these two have gone better as a double or not? And I, I don't actually even quite know even where I stand on it, although I would love to make like a master mix. I know people have done that. I've seen on, on some of the forums that we're in, people have made what they would consider a double album of both both things. But this one is another one that has a little bit of crossover, not just in the melody, but in the overall, I don't know, toughness of Fear of the Dawn. It doesn't always, it's, it's not quite as tough as most of the stuff on Fear of the Dawn, but it's got spunk, you know what? You know? I would say this album has more of a cowboy gruffness to Fear of the Dawn's cyberpunk edge. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if cyberpunk is the way I would go, but... Fear of the Dawn is Akira, and this is Tombstone. Sure, yeah. I'm your Huckleberry. Sure, why not? <laughs> Just please, God, don't tell anyone about me being your Huckleberry. That's, <laughs> that's on the low. <laughs> Look... I did some things. I'm Val Kilmer, and, and your mother and I. <laughs> <laughs> the bass, dude. The bass is another star on this track. I wouldn't be surprised if this was one that was written on the bass. We learned last time that he wrote a couple songs on the bass. I wouldn't be surprised if this was one of them. It's possible. This one is reminiscent of I've Got You Surrounded in its funk factor. Mm-hmm. It's definitely got that funk. Mm-hmm. I really dig the, you know, with a man's hat made of satin, that whole, like, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's, good. it's smooth. It's very smooth. It's Jack White rapping-ish, but, like, I mean, we've, we already brought up Prince. It's got a Princey vibe to it yeah. that I feel and I like. I like that it has a bridge. I like that that it breaks apart the two sections. It's a song I I find myself skipping to, uh, as opposed to skipping around. So, like, if I'm playing this album, basic tracks to drive to, I will be playing this song, and I will be playing our next song 100% of the time. James, before we get to that song, I do want to call out that this is a great band on this one. It's got Quincy McCrary on piano. Jack on acoustic guitar and drums hmm. and Jack Lawrence on bass. And that's the band. Ah, Jack pretty plays cool. Drums. Pretty good band. Yeah, it's a great band. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good band. But that brings us James to the track you were making reference to, which is taking me back gently. When you forgive the friction and you talk about Christmas, are you?
song is so good. It doesn't fit anywhere else. I don't know. It's so strange because it's got that cowboy vibe to it. I really, really dig it. But Pokey's influence can be felt on this song so heavily. It's chock full of Pokey. I like this one. I dare I say it more than the head that the I do too. heavier version. I do too. I mean, I like it's both, got, but I like this one too. More. This has, I mean, we've we've talked about it before, but this has your cast of characters. This is the <laughs> this is the 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 time when the studio brings back, like the movie studio brings back the it's Jurassic World Dominion. They bring back all the hits. <laughs> They're playing all the hits. <laughs> They got your, your Fats Kaplan's. Yeah. Yeah. You got your Fats Kaplan's. You got your Pokey Lafarge's. You've got your Jack White's. You've got. Do you want me to go down the other... list? Yeah, please do. All right. Hey, of all people, Corey Younce. Corey Younce. Is back on piano. The man who we yelled at in a previous episode about who. <laughs> God, who knows? But he's really good. Yeah. Olivia Jean on shaker, Fats Kaplan on violin, Jack on acoustic guitar, and acoustic lead guitar. Pokey Lafarge on acoustic rhythm guitar, Patrick Keeler on drums, and Dominic Davis on bass. Really. Patrick Keeler, who was on drums, he guested in, uh, I, I want to say, Louisiana somewhere. He was on stage with Jack yes. playing, which was really cool to see. Yeah, he did Steady As She Goes, I think. Yeah, yeah awesome. Anyway. Yeah, I love this one. I love this one. Via EW, Jack had a whole list of words he was drawing. Quote, Let's see if I can get these words to be in there. Like supermarket, Christmas, coffee, whatever. The song is so hard. The electric version was so heavy. I was like, I'm going to try and put words in there that do not belong. (laughs) Some of them made it and some of them didn't. Some were crossed out. Like, no way I can sing that. I'll just laugh every time when I'm on stage. But I like giving myself little challenges. I thought it would be nice to show people what you can do with the exact same song to do a totally gentle, jazzy version recorded on actual 1930s equipment. The heavy version was totally on Pro Tools and digital and straight into the computer right in your face. It's just to show that the style doesn't really matter. It's the song underneath it all. I thought, I'll use it as a reprise in the album later on for 30 seconds or maybe as a B-side or... Maybe it's a lost track. I thought it would be cool to test and experiment. But as it started to turn into two records, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if I started the first one with the heavy one and ended the second one with the soft one? And it loops all the way around. So that came out really cool. I remember when I was young, I used to always look for clues between different albums that were never there. I would get these albums, lay them on the carpet, and expect there to be something, you know? Maybe it came from John Lennon saying the walrus was Paul or something like that. I wanted there to be connections. So that was nice to be able to do that. So he's basically saying he loves doing what we do with this show. <laughs> I was going to say, he's talking to us in this regard, going like, I get it. You guys, you guys are. <laughs> yeah. Inches point to strings on a wall and stuff. Um, as he mentioned, I thought that it was really cool that this was recorded through 1930s RCA Mike Prize, which is a thing, onto tape. So that's a similar stuff to what he was using in um, American Epic, which, by the way, is one of my go-tos. I play that American Epic soundtrack all the time. I just can't get enough of that stupid thing. And this belongs on there, basically. Like, this one is kind of like on the road again or... Um, a whiskey. Uh, uh, two Fingers of Whiskey. But, yeah, I love, I love that record. 
and I love this. I love that whole style. And as I mentioned, Susanna was so inspired by this song, she started to animate to it. So there you go. That's great. I need to know now what lines he crossed out that would make him laugh. <laughs> yeah. So I hope it's like dishwasher or, you know, something along yeah. those lines. I, I, I got to know. What dumb word could he not put in this song? Yeah, no, it fits in with the style. I think that's might be why he brought Pokey in, because Pokey's got that. Mm-hmm vibe to him i love that it loops back and i think i said it in the last episode you know not only does he start the fear of the dawn with taking me back and end this one with with taking me back gently he starts taking me back on this album and uh i really yes i really really dig that he's like go full circle go just do it yeah and i do i i, I have played him back to back i put him on a playlist so that i could listen to him back to back and it's great and that james brings us to the end of the album Mm -hmm. what do you say we get into a bit of reception okay let's receive it all right so chart performance for entering heaven alive this one performed pretty well performed pretty damn well not uh, quite as high as some of jack's previous efforts but still pretty far into his career he's still doing pretty good top 10 numbers here so u.s billboard 200 just the general album chart came in at number nine on the u.s independent albums number two u.s top alternative number one u.s top rock albums number one uh uk albums number four charted at number four in the uk number one on the uk independent records uh number three in switzerland number 65 in spain yeah didn't really do too well there three in scotland 23 in his ancestral home of Poland, number 23. Number four in Germany, nine in Deutschland. Deutschland is just Germany. It's Dutch just, album charts, number yep. nine. Uh, 45 in Canada, not really making the, not really impressing the Canadians too much here. Yeah, 34 in Belgium, 12 in the other Belgian chart. There's like two different ones. One's called Flanders, and it's funny because it's the Simpsons man. And then Austria, number four, and Australia, number 43. So, you know, for two records that came out pretty close to one another, that's not so bad. And I would argue, I know Help a Stranger was a chart topper. It did have the ticket sale thing, and artists seem to have dropped that for the most part, I think. Um, at least in recent memory. I mean, I think the pandemic probably changed some of that, but yeah, you're talking about like the CD with a, or like the album with a ticket yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. And that's how they, that's how they used to get the number one. So this is more of a pure number, number nine, which is kind of where I'd expect somebody like Jack White to be sitting, you know? Yes. Especially with an album like this, it's not full of radio hits. Right but it is full of very solid tracks. It's, I, I think this will be a often referenced by fans album as opposed to played at football stadiums. Yeah, the, the get-behind-me-Satan of his solo career. Yeah, to a point. I think this is more commercially viable than get-behind-me-Satan to a degree. Um, I would say Boarding House Reach is more along those lines. For some perspective here, and we'll do this when we actually do Fear of the Dawn, but Fear of the Dawn hit number four on the Billboard Top 200, so higher. That cracked the top five, as opposed to this one, which came at number nine. Okay. And in the UK, a little bit higher. A little bit higher in the UK. Came in at number three. So, 
it's I think this may just be a symptom of there was two records back to back and you know fans are going to buy both obviously and clearly other people other than fans are buying both but to John Q public who's out to buy his ooh his new record by Yuck what but there's two of them you know I could see that it may maybe the second one wouldn't perform maybe quite as well something but I think pro- they probably did better independently of one another than they would have as a double album. But that's just supposition on my part. It would have cost more. So, yeah, it would have cut into album sales. Yeah, but there would have been a big hit off of, like, because, well, I don't know if there was any, there's not really hits on these, but Taking Me Back, I, th- I think, did well. I mean. Yeah. Of all of the uh, uh, songs on the two albums, that is the one that I would say is closest to a, radio play single because i have heard that play on the radio (laughs) yeah so uh pretty you know performed pretty well you know especially not a not really a big single attached to it i guess love is selfish kind of sure maybe the the biggest of the bunch but um ratings and reviews were kind consequence of sound said of the record entering heaven alive is subtle and reflective emphasizing pop melodies and flirting with a variety of musical styles Parts of the set have clear antecedents in White's catalog, such as the spare acoustic number Love is Selfish and the sun-bleached country of Please God, Don't Tell Anyone. Wow. Sun-bleached. And then Variety says, Entering Heaven Alive recalls nothing so much as a beautiful 1970s singer-songwriter record, albeit with some excursions into string band sounds, jazzy piano solos, and classic shuffles. It's easily digestible for just about any ear, which stands in contrast to his electric records of late. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. And I did find a negative review uh, from Under the Radar magazine. In total, Entering Heaven Alive lacks the wacky, adventurous spirit of its twin brother, But that was hardly its aim. In the interview with Spin, White describes Entering Heaven Alive as a gentle Sunday morning album. On a purely sonic front, he's largely succeeded, crafting a rich acoustic landscape for his meditations on love, both romantic and platonic. But unfortunately, the songs themselves don't stand up to his best acoustic work. It's not a bad album by any means, but it's also rarely exceptional and therefore not very memorable. Hard disagree on that one. And that's the reception, James. Should we rate the record? Let's do it. All right, you say the thing you say. I can't tell if if you've frozen or if you're just glaring at me. (laughs) No, I'm just glaring. Paul, we, we love all of these albums. Okay. So if we were to rate this on a scale of like 10... Nothing would get below a seven. It wouldn't make sense. So what we've decided to do is... Rate what do you take us for? Good. That's not me <laughs> saying to you, but like to the people. Yeah. What are we, b- broadcasters? I just realized I look a little like C6 Steve with this <laughs> like, yeah, A little that. bit. A little bit. A little John sinclair A little yeah, C6 Stevie. Um, so w- what we've decided to do is rated out of uh, well, yo, three because Jack White, he loves the number three and so we've rated it out of three men mm-hmm. um, 
and uh, I call it the Cold Stone Creamery system, Paul. We've got one man for like it, two men for love it, and three men for gotta have it, and that is the Cold Stone Creamery system. It's patented. Don't buy buy the ice cream (laughs) company. (laughs) Don't go looking for the patent. Please, God, don't tell anyone. Do they still exist, Cold Stone? Yeah, a few of them are still still pressing ice cream. They're still taking (laughs) ice cream and they're they're throwing it at a rock with a paddle. Press. We press our ice cream whilst singing. Have you ever wanted your ice cream paddled? Well, we've got the place for you. Throw your ice cream at a rock. Goldstone. Ice cream S&M. <laughs> Why, you want to throw, uh, insert things into your ice cream whilst paddling? Go They're for it. They're whacking on it. They're singing songs. They're having fun. Why, you could force your servers to sing. <laughs> Well, James, why don't you go first? <laughs> I talked a lot for these last two episodes. I feel like I want to hear your rating, and I also want to hear what if you think this would be better or worse as a double album with Fear of the Dawn. Why, sure. Would you love this album to be paddled? God. <laughs> okay. So, Entering Heaven Alive is beautiful. Uh, it is exactly what Jack White said. It's an easy easier listen than some of his more challenging work especially after something like boarding house reach this is what we were craving i think was something that gave us some tunes some lyrics some story as opposed to just jams and we still get some of that flavor and we i do love that flavor quite a bit but you know, it's it's hearkening back to some of the best moments in his career. Uh, we're getting reminders of his earlier solo work. We're getting reminders of his White Stripes work. We're getting reminders of his raconteur's work. His country, love of country, uh, is pr- more prevalent now than it has been in Fear of the Dawn and in Boarding House Reach. And it's going back to what we love. It's got the Lazaretto stuff to it. So on that front, I was already on board on the first listen going to pick up the record i I put it on spotify to to listen to it as i was to pick it up and uh after every single song i was going yeah yeah and i was like every single time that we had one of those left turns we were talking about i was like holy shit yes like this is what i want i wasn't saying those words exactly because i had jack in the car with me (laughs) um i went I went to pick it up yeah. with, with the boy, uh, and he was liking it too. He he was uh, he was a fan of Queen of the Bees, so it was hitting on on every front that I wanted it to. As a double album, I think this would have been a little worse, only because I think it would have been too much all at once to digest. I think he's right that the sounds would be too far gone, and so I'm really happy that they are two separate pieces. What it did is it kept the Jack White hype train for me going and in in a good way. So like Fear of the Dawn got me prepped uh, to, to go see him live. And then the live stuff got me prepped for this album. And I think that all added to the to, to just kind of this album having a lot of really good things kind of tied to it. Anyway, uh, all that's to say I loved it. Uh, I'm going to go with three. I'm going with three. Whoa. Wow. I think this is one of his best works in a long time. 
I haven't heard an album I've liked this much. I mean, the Raconteurs, Help a Stranger, is really solid. But this one is, is it's it's blunderbussy. It's what his solo work should be, or at least in my lay opinion and the person who is not the artist. Like, this is what I've been, what I've liked about his solo work in the past, and it's what I like about it now. And I can listen to this album back to front, and it feels fresh every time. And I've listened to it a lot, and it hasn't lost any of that charm. So, yeah, I'm going with three. Well, I'll keep mine short and sweet. Three. Hard three. If I could give it a four, I would. It's such a three that I want to retroactively lower my scores for other albums of his. This is what I want. More, please. I would like this again. Please and thank you. It's got an eclectic mix, which is, again, what I'm looking for in a Jack album. And it's got melodies. And it's got songs. And there's stories again. And it's like, I just wanted something to chew on like this i just i can't I, I i never get bored of this one it's what i wanted i don't know how else to describe it i had a great you know I, I, fear of the dawn don't get me wrong i really like that record too it hurts my ears a little bit but i really like that record and i think that that one will forever be stapled to this the move for me but then this album will forever be like the one that came out while i was out here in, in portland and, you know, I had fun going to the record store and picking up the album, picking up the CD, getting the special bag and seeing all the posters for it everywhere. And yeah, just good memories, good songs, really good songs, songs, James, songs, real live songs. So that is my review of this hard, hard three, four, if I could. Wow. I'm trying my best to to rate it as to, you know, I'm trying to do what the Doughboys do, <laughs> which is base it not on is it the best album that's ever been created, but but is this album trying to do what it's set out to do? And I think it has accomplished every single tick box it's it's trying to do. Did yeah. I do I think it's the snappiest album of his? No. Do I think it's the the album with the most hits? No. Do I think it's his best album? No. But Will I continue to listen to this on a regular rotation of, of his works? Yes, I will. So You know how much I love Lazaretto, but I think this might be his best solo album. I still go Lazaretto I, is his best. So I, 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 I love Lazaretto. I think Lazaretto has stronger hits, but as far as no misses for me, that this one, except with the ex- possible exception of the jamminess of Got You Surrounded, but it's a quibble at that point. Uh, Jack reflected on this record saying when prompted what the record means to him he replied it feels really exploratory it feels somber and exploratory there are lots of ideas happening each song is different more so than if i had intended to make a record that sounds like that if i had set out to do that i don't think it would have sounded like this i think it would have been a case where all the songs sound the same or if i made a country record it would have had only one vibe this has its personality from having it never having been meant to be together, these songs. They flow on their own because they were never meant to flow in this way. Hmm. And with that, we will leave the discussion of entering Heaven Alive. Thank you for joining us for these two parts. 
We are going to not have a third person on this week, but we'll play out here with some more tour reflections uh, that you all sent us in. Thank you for doing that. Please continue to do so. We'll keep playing them as long as you keep turning them in here. We asked everybody to send in if they saw the uh, Supply Chain Issues tour. They could record themselves giving a review, and we've been playing those for the last couple episodes, starting with last season's Lola Kirk interview Mm -hmm. that we did. So we're going to play out with those right here, and uh, we'll go straight to the credits after that. So, James, I will be looking for a home inside a four, which I give this record formally now. It's the first one we're giving a four. And I will be looking for a home inside an American Legion, just <laughs> just looking for a way into that American I just want a home inside that American Legion. Just get me inside there, Paul. Well, they'll butter your toast. As you take off your shoes. <laughs> I'll be looking for a home as a fire inside of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. This review comes courtesy of Nick Langford, Langio from the Heavens, of the Des Moines, Iowa show that he saw. His email reads, Hey fellas, thought I'd sneak in my quick review of the Supply Chain Issues Des Moines show in between classes. To start, the opener Ezra Furman put on an excellent show and the crowd was pumped for Jack to come out. So I've seen Jack twice already, but to be up on the railing in an extremely junky venue the Valair Ballroom was an entirely different experience. I felt like I was stepping into one of those old, messy VHS recordings of the White Stripes, especially since this tour has been of some fairly large venues. Taking Me Back is a brutal song on the record, but in the front row, it is absolutely absurd. The set list was pretty standard, but it was super cool seeing Same Boy You've Always Known live, especially knowing how important that song is to Jack. This was also my first time seeing Seven Nation Army live, which was amazing. Even more amazing, though, was Jack's performance of Little Bird. The whole concert was absolutely electric. The only slight complication occurred when someone passed out in the front row, but security was able to help fairly quickly. I count myself as extremely lucky to have been able to see my favorite guitar player from like six feet away. At the end of the show, my father and I were able to high-five Daru, and I was able to get Dominic's bass pick. This concert completely eliminated my pre-college stress, so thanks for that, Jack and crew. Thanks for the letter, Nick. This is supposed to be a show review from the Supply Chain Issues Tour, but when Paul asked if I wanted to contribute something, I had a tough time remembering details of some of the shows that I saw, because after a while it all just runs together and becomes a jumble of of exciting moments that uh, are hard to separate out. 
So I spent the weekend listening to a couple of of those shows, and it reminded me that one of the things that really excited me about this tour wasn't a show at all. It was Jack's decision to make soundboard recordings available on Nugs.net. Anybody who was around to mine the treasure trove of fan recordings at the White Stripes uh, Little Room message board can understand just how important this is. There was a lot of conversation back then about how we wished there was a place that contained all of the band's shows, not just the ones that fans had been able to record, and how we'd be glad to pay for them. Obviously, a recording's never going to replace the experience of being at a live show, but it can be appreciated as a separate medium, one that complements both the energy of the live experience and the production style of the studio albums. For fans who are fortunate enough to be at shows on this tour, those recordings can help to refresh our memories of those special moments that end up just blurring all together. For people who are not able to get to shows, they're a chance to get at least a vicarious jolt of that energy. And for anyone who still doesn't understand the whole no set list thing, those people that DJ Chris Treater was talking to during his warm-up sets, these releases are an opportunity to experience just how Jack's brain works when he's up on that stage. Third Man understands that. And they've shown that with the collection of improvised songs from the Supply Chain Issues Tour that they're giving us in the next vault package. But these Nugs recordings also give us all the variations of Fell in Love with a Girl, all the different songs tucked inside of canon from one night to the next, all the between-song stories from nights when Jack was in a chatty mood, and every effusive thank you from him at the end of an especially good show. As I learned way back in the beginning of my Jack addiction, you really don't grasp the full scope of his genius until you've heard a bunch of his live sets and heard just how different every show is. So I personally am immensely grateful to him for doing this, and I hope that all of his fans realize just how special it is. And damn it, here is hoping that he does it on future tours too. Yeah! 
The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at thirdmencast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time. the band that harry shears in um one direction and i'm wayne kaminsky you are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the beatles every week on the yesterday and today podcast This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yeah, I, I. That's fine. I can keep talking. She's not in my oh, room. That's right. <laughs> She's not in my creepy basement that has a toilet in it. <laughs>